Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. All right. If you're hungry for a word, say, that's me. Because we're going to the Bible. God has a word for us today. We're going to continue our sermon series called A Church in Revival. A Church in Revival. I think one of the best, uh, well, at least one of my favorite uh, letters, epistles from the Apostle Paul is this, uh, First and Second Corinthians. And he is writing to a church that is somewhat similar to us in the fact that we are a revival culture. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you were here a few weeks ago, I did chapter 1 in its entirety. I did chapter 2, and now we're going to 3. So if you've got your Bible and it's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just say, I'm ready. If you're going to read it off the screen, say, that's me. I'm okay with it. Let's stand up and let's read the Bible together, please. Verse 1 begins, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you're probably confused because Paul had just told the church at Corinth that they were spiritual. She's like, hold on, Paul, what's going on? You encouraged me last week and now you rebuke me this week? That sounds about like the job description of a pastor, let's be honest. He's like, listen, yes, you are spiritual people, but you are not ready to be fed with spiritual food. That's verse 1. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. It's not what you want to hear from your pastor. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And if you're paying close attention, you're recognizing what it is that Paul is describing as being an attitude or a life of the flesh. Number one is jealousy. Number two is strife. And number three is fighting over who to follow. Right? You see that right there. You want to know what immaturity looks like? It looks like jealousy, fighting with each other, and then arguing over who should be in charge. Paul's coming for us today, guys. Just get ready. Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? He answers his own question. Servants. Everybody say servants. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now that's humbling. I have no ability within myself to grow you. My job is to sow seed. Somebody else is going to come up here. They're going to water that seed. But ultimately, church, it is only Jesus that can provide spiritual growth in your life. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Everybody say, that's me. And you are God's building. Everybody say, that's me. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled Master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, this is Paul as a pastor and as, and as a church planter 
speaking of himself as a wise master builder, all right, the Greek term here is architekton, which is where we get our word for architect, all right? So he has blueprints for the church at Corinth, and then he first talks about the foundation. Now, we know this because of Nashville real estate prices, but if the foundation is not solid, then the house is bound to fall apart, amen? And so Paul is disclosing what the foundation will always be forever, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, which is what he talks about in chapter 2. He's like, listen, I've already laid a foundation. Here's what it is. Jesus. And he said, you know, some other people, they're going to build on it. You know, you're going to have some other leaders. You're going to have some elders. You're going to have some directors. You're going to have some teachers. You're going to have some guest pastors. There's other people that are going to come in. They're going to sow seed. They're going to water seed. They're going to build on the foundation. But don't get it twisted, church. There's only one foundation, and it is a man, and his name is Jesus. And we have to build upon that. That's good stuff, Paul. We should just all amen, Paul, right now. Just amen, Paul. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, everybody say, that's good. good. Wood, hay, or straw, everybody say, that's bad. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Done. Now, it is possible to placate for a season. You can pretend for a little while, but guess what's going to happen? Ultimately and eventually, you're going to go through a trial. And when you go through a trial by fire, you experience testing and suffering. Your materials that you have been using to build upon the foundation of your faith that is Jesus is going to be revealed. I, so listen, fire is never fun. But I'm grateful for the trial. You know why? Because once it's over, praise God, I can look back and see what materials I was using to build my life. And everything that's been destroyed is actually favor from God if we'll accept it. I didn't need that anyway. I'm going to drive by my ex-girlfriend's house and honk and say, thank you, because I didn't need you anyway. You see what I'm saying? That's it. Just DM them right now. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. 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 Verse 14 says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, well, then he's going to receive a reward. I'll take that. I like rewards from God. How about you? But verse 15, in contrast, says, if anyone's work is burned up, well, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Wouldn't it be a bummer if you got to the end of your life, you're on your deathbed, and you realize that what you gave your life to all got burnt up? Like, wouldn't it be a bummer if when you got to heaven, you look back and you're like, man, I did it for fame, but I was never fruitful. Because at some point, he capitalizes the word day here because he's talking about the judgment day, which we'll all face one day. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Praise God. 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So verse 18, let no one deceive himself. I love when Paul starts talking about self-awareness. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, well, let him become a fool that he may actually become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly, which means foolishness, with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, it's written, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Everybody say all things. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Now he's talking about not only uh, worldly leaders, uh, even godly leaders, but leaders nonetheless, human leaders. Uh, He's also talking about what they teach, what they preach, whether it's about now, whether it's about eschatology, whatever doctrine it is, all of it is yours. Why? Because you, last verse, belong to Jesus. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. All right, so I'm going to do my best here for the next few minutes to talk to you from the topic of a letter to the charismatic church. All right, because that's what it is. And I don't know that I'm qualified to write a letter to the actual global charismatic church, but this is my best attempt to translate Paul to do just that, okay? So will you give me grace? All right, let's do it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's everlasting. It never changes. It's always faithful to produce what you intend for it to accomplish in our lives. And so we say we open up today. We receive your word with gladness in our hearts, and we ask you to change us before we walk out of this building in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I kind of wrote my message out a little bit like a letter. So my introduction is my own personal introductory statements if I were to be able to pen a letter to the Global Charismatic Church. But I do have to warn you, and I did not warn the first service, which I should have done. It's messy, a little harsh. All right? I was thinking in the first service, I was like, what should I call this kind of message? I was like, an M&M message? Like a mean message? Because it's kind of mean. I don't know. A real message? A biblical message? A harsh message? I don't know. But it is from the Bible. So you know what that makes it? A good message. So I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, um, we are a charismatic church. Now, I don't think that's news to any of you guys because you were just here like 30 minutes ago for the worship. We're charismatic. Like, that's our preference in how we enjoy worshiping God. And some of that, we look to the Bible to get guidance for how God likes to be worshiped. But there's also certain things that we do that are just preferences. They're our style. Because we like it. What's unfortunate is that our generation confuses style for substance. And just because you're stylish does not mean that you have substance. But if you have substance, you will always be stylish. Because people will be interested in what it is that's on your life and say, man, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. I don't know if it's the way you talk, the way you dress. I can't figure it out. But when you talk, I feel something happening in my heart and I feel drawn to it. That's substance. 
You can't fake substance because as my wife always reminds me, you can't fake fruit, man. You can't fake fruit. But we're a charismatic church. And there's actually a lot of charismatic churches. I know in the West, if you look at Instagram and Facebook, there's a lot of people that don't like church and they're throwing stones at the local church. They're throwing stones at the expression of church and the way it looks in America, claiming it to be wrong and false and terrible and oppressive and all these bad things about what it is that Jesus is actively building through imperfect human leaders like me. But at the end of the day, Jesus is still building it and Jesus faithfully shows up to it Which is confusing sometimes because you wonder, like, if we're not doing things right, why does the presence of God rest here? It's because He loves you. Despite our inabilities, despite our mistakes, despite our sin, despite our inadequacies, Jesus faithfully shows up in this room every week. He saves people. He heals people. He regenerates people. He encourages people. He picks them up, turns them around, and sends them out to go into the city to love other people, to see other people saved, healed, and delivered. And it's amazing what we get to be a part of. But listen, church, it is not just an exception. It's not something small and insignificant. I looked at the Pew Research website this week, and one in ten humans, not Christian, one in ten humans on planet Earth are charismatic Christians. Charismatic or Pentecostal Christians. Now, I know, I know, like our generation, millennials, like people are deconstructing, they're going through their process, and they're like, the church is terrible, it's the worst, it's never going to recover. But if you look at the actual statistics, they would suggest something entirely different. Am I in trouble yet? It's just the introduction to my message. God is moving all over the globe, church. God is moving in the nations, he's moving in rich nations, poor nations, he's moving in church nations, unchurched nations. Like he is moving and his church is thriving. Despite what some people might suggest, Jesus is in charge and the enemy does not have the upper hand. You have to know that. We have to know that. All right? And so I realize this is a charismatic Pentecostal church. We have our roots in Pentecostalism. Right, So you can do some research on that, which I did this past week, actually, because I'd heard a podcast called Stuff You Should Know. Anybody ever heard that podcast? It's not a Christian podcast. It's secular. I think it's produced by NPR. I saw it on Spotify, but they had a title, which was, uh, Why is Pentecostalism Growing So Rapidly? Which is where I actually learned that one in ten humans are spirit-filled people. That's pretty awesome, actually. That's really awesome. And so it's for me, like I am super pumped to pastor a Pentecostal church. I am. But I also understand that we have our peace to carry. We have an expression that we're called to impart, right? Like if you look at like an Anglican church or a more liturgical church expression, they have a lot of revelation about the Father. Do you guys notice that? Like even if you look at their churches, they have really, really high ceilings. There's like a holy hush. People wear robes. It's like God, the Almighty Father. Right? So there's a lot of revelation about the Father. Now, if you look at evangelical churches, which some people might think that we are one because I wear Jordans, but like you look at evangelical churches and they're all about Jesus, right? They have a lot of revelation about the grace of Jesus. They have a lot of revelation about the Son. And so every sermon, for the most part, is like from one of the four Gospels and every sermon finishes with an invitation to salvation in Jesus and they're really passionate about you know, catching fish, if you will. 
right? And it's awesome. It's amazing. They have a part to play. We have to stop looking at evangelical churches and pointing the finger, claiming that they're shallow because they're faithful to what God has asked them to do rather than gift project and say, well, because they're not doing what I've been called to do, they are somehow a lesser believer. We have to get over that mess, church. We have to stop that, all right? It just burns my biscuits, honestly. It just bothers me. We're carrying our peace, church, okay? We are a Pentecostal charismatic church because that's the type of church that Jesus has decided to plant through this family. Like, that's what I can tell you. And like, some of it's our history, our upbringing, our preferences, but all in all, like, that's who we are. We're charismatics. And so we're running on this revelation of the Holy Spirit. Like, we're aware that God's presence is like in the room. He's moving in power. He's healing sick bodies. He lands on people. Sometimes we do weird stuff. You know, it's like, we do, okay? We do, all right? We get it honest, okay? Sorry, but not sorry. We are enjoying it. We're having a blast doing what we feel led to do by God, okay? It's not for everybody. Some people fit into the liturgical church. Some people fit into the evangelical church. Some people fit into the charismatic church. It is all one body. All right, it's all one body. We gotta honor each other. We gotta love each other and realize that each of us carry different impartations for the body, capital B, and we need to be grateful for that and respect each other and work together and be in unity and love each other. And you know what? Every now and then, go to those other expressions and worship with the same engaged heart and don't sit back and judge somebody because they did a 20-minute worship set instead of a 44-minute worship set and think, well, they're somehow missing God because they're doing it different. What if that's the church that Jesus is building? This is still my introductory letter the introductory part of the letter are you guys cool with it so i was thinking about this and i'm like man what a blessing it is to be the pastor of a charismatic church where people are not embarrassed to just go ham for the lord like i love it but it also comes with some challenges it also comes with some challenges um you know while we have this revelation of the holy spirit we can think that the point of church is my encounter and no one else's experience or discipleship or relationships or healing or encouragement. Like my whole church experience is all about me and the glory goosebumps that I get when I attend twice a month, statistically. It's a church message. It's a pastoral message. It's from the Apostle Paul. He's a pastor. He's a church planner. I'm just telling him. You guys, what he said in the book, okay? I've just kind of, you know, dressed it up a little bit, you know? It's like, it's challenging. Because while we will be passionate about fellowship with the Spirit, we're not as passionate about fellowship with the flock. And it's sometimes confusing because I don't see it in the Word where God says being connected to His presence means being disconnected from His people. And I love the fact that we're connected to the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that we prophesy. I love the fact that we dream big and we're believing God for nations and we are a local church and we're believing for big impact. 
But not everything's about big, 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 big. Sometimes it's about zooming in and stopping for one person and ministering to their heart and caring about the single mom and caring about the little kid and caring about the sick and caring about the weak and caring about the lonely and caring about the oppressed and caring about people who've been hated on and marginalized by society and saying, listen, you matter. Your growth matters. This church is not all about me and my preferences. It's also about people and their processes. Right? This is a strong, mighty church that's built not just on the Spirit and not just on the truth, but it's built on Spirit and truth as true worshipers will worship in Spirit and truth. And I want us to be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, let's be charismatic Pentecostals. I like that style of church. It's super fun for me. But in the process of us being us, let's not neglect other expressions that actually have strength to add to us so that we can not only be deep people, but also be mature people. Because you've got to be a good mom. You've got to be a good dad. You've got to be a good boss. You've got to be a good manager. You've got to be a good employee. And you've got to feel just as connected to the Holy Spirit on Thursday afternoon at 11 as you do on Sunday morning at 12.07. Like, I, I want to see you guys just, you're big people in God, not just have big experiences on, at meetings. Okay, so there's my introductory message there. I'm sorry if it happened to destroy your Jordans, but I'm not meaning to stomp on your toes. But when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think that what Paul is doing is he's giving a letter, he's giving an address to a charismatic church that's somewhat similar to ours in that they're exploring the gifts of the Spirit, which are biblical, right? They're going after an expressive church, they're worshiping, they're receiving communion, they're healing the sick, they're prophesying, they're speaking in tongues, people are interpreting the tongues, they're having fire tunnels. I don't know about that, I'm just assuming they probably did that. You know, the first charismatic church of Corinth. I bet that was the name of the church. That was probably their Instagram handle. The first charismatic church at Corinth. Church planter Paul, itinerant minister Apollos. Guest pastor Cephas. Like they were awesome at having amazing three-day conferences, like nine meetings. It's just nuts. And then here's Paul, which some people might think he's kind of raining on their parade, but actually he's just trying to dive deeper and he's trying to grow big people in God. He's like, listen, you guys are spiritual in chapter two. And then he goes in chapter three and he says, listen, although you're spiritual, you're not ready for spiritual food. You're having all these spiritual experiences, which is amazing, but you're lacking in spiritual maturity, which is terrible. We've actually got to build you up so that as the move of God is released, you have the strength to sustain the revival that you're crying out for in intercession. This cannot be just a blip on the radar. This has to be a sustained lifestyle so that the move of God in our church causes our cities to get get better. Are you with me this morning? So he starts in verse 1. He's like, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, your infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And that is really hard to do as a pastor. I just want you to know. You know one of the hardest things for me to do with Rua? That's my um, third child, by the way. I have a sweatshirt with her name on it today. My, My friend mailed me this. I thought it was pretty cool. 
But you know, she always wants to eat food that she can't have. No, sorry, Rua, you're one. You can't eat dad's filet mignon. But nonetheless, she reaches for it because she thinks she wants it and she feels big enough to have it. And you know how discouraged she is when I'm like, no, mashed potatoes, avocado, right? And it's the same way in church, man. I'm telling you, as a pastor, sometimes it's so difficult to be like, I'm sorry, dude. I can't give you the word that tickles your ears. I got to give you the word that you can actually digest. Nope. Nope, this church just ain't deep. Bro, who told you you could only eat once a week? Just saying. <laughs> just saying. It's a challenge. It's hard. I think Paul is picking up on that challenge. And what he's doing is he's giving us a truth, which is point number one. You can be saved and you can be spirit-filled and yet immature. It's absolutely possible to be both saved and spirit-filled and still be immature. Absolutely possible. Paul says, indeed, you're spiritual, but you're not ready for spiritual food just yet. Two years ago, three years ago, we had a Legacy Weekend uh, meeting, and uh, Pastor Josh Kelsey from C3 New York City was here. And one of the small but profound things that he said to me was, every church has a diet. And I realize that now as a pastor, because your ability to, to, to lead is connected to your ability to feed. You look at that all across the board with church leadership. Your ability to lead is connected to your ability to feed. And in the Old Testament, there's a lot of talk about shepherds. You know, we got Psalm 23. Like a shepherd's responsibility was to look in the mouth of his sheep to discern where they were deficient in certain nutrients. Right? So that's what I try to do. You know, it's a parable. Okay, I'm not going to do any kind of dental inspections after this. But, like, he's, like, looking in the mouth, and he's like, okay, I can see that they need that nutrient, and I'm aware of a pasture over here where grass grows that is strong in that nutrient, so let's lead the whole flock over here, and let's feed the flock in this pasture for a little bit so that they can grow strong in the areas that they are deficient. Listen, my job in this season is not to lead you into the pasture of like passionate, burning hot revival. It's just not, man. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Like that's, that's what God's asked me to do in this season. I'm like, deep roots, more character, good doctrine. And I know for some people they're like, we're, we're Pentecostal. We need more fire tunnels. I'm fine with the fire tunnels. I really am. But listen, what I feel that God is speaking to us is like we need to grow down, not just blow up. Because some people look at what's happening in our world and they're like, oh, you guys are blowing up. And I'm like, by the spirit, we're growing down in Jesus name. Like I am. I'm grateful for the wave, man. But I don't want anybody falling off the board and dying because we're experiencing a revival. Like, I want us to be strong people that carry revival. Amen? So this is, you know, this is my job. And you know what? Every meal, every sermon, every point of every sermon may not necessarily feel like it's for you. But what I would love to see us do, church, is take on a mindset that says every message is for me. Not necessarily because I love the taste of this grass. But because my shepherd, who I know is following the Lord to the best of his ability, and according to the grace that's been put on his life, has led me to this field. Therefore, I'm going to eat. That's, 
That's just, that, that's just the way it works. And I realize, like, we've all had different church experiences. Some of us come from really terrible church experiences where we have a lot of hurt and we have a lot of distrust and we have a lot of disconnection with human leaders. And I get it. It makes sense. You know why? Because we're not Jesus. But when you belong to a flock, there has to be a mindset shift that says, you know what, I'm not going to agree with everything that gets preached, but I'm also going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. I'm going to listen to what gets shared. I'm going to take it and say, it was for me. I may not apply all of it immediately, but I'm going to pay enough attention to become prayerful. Are you with me? This is part of my assignment. I'm recognizing that as I'm reading through Paul. So I have like backup points that are nicer than the real points. I only have four, so this is the backup point of point one, and it's simply this. I write to you, beloved, stay hungry. All right? I write to you. Remember, this is a letter to the charismatic church, and I want to say, I write to you, beloved, stay hungry. Stay hungry for the Word of God. Stay hungry to hear from God. Stay hungry to keep it pure in worship. Stay hungry to have an actual, authentic, real connection to an actual, real person whose name is Jesus and he is alive. It is absolutely possible to be spirit-filled and saved and yet immature. It's absolutely possible to be well-fed yet underdeveloped. Listen, the level at which we have been instructed needs to correlate to the level at which we are surrendered. It cannot be us simply amassing revelation to tweet out. We actually have to have some application to follow it up, which goes into point number two. Your behavior, not your beliefs, reveal your spiritual maturity. If you want to tell me about how spiritually mature you are, I'm ready to listen But you telling me is not an actual revelation of your maturity. It is the way in which you live your life and how you choose to behave. I told you it was kind of a mean message. Are you still good? This is verse 3 and 4. It says, but you are still the flesh. Why? Because there's jealousy. There's fighting among you. Are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? For when one says, well, I'm going to follow Paul. No, I'm going to follow Apollos. Well, I'm going to be a part of... Upper room. I'm part of Bethel. I'm part of Legacy. I'm part of Oasis. Like these natural affiliations where we start fighting over which is better. I'm rebuking myself after I made the joke earlier in the message. But you get it, right? Paul says that kind of behavior is of the flesh. When you're jealous, when you're fighting, and when you're arguing over who's in charge... You're revealing your immaturity. This word um, jealousy here is actually the word zeal, which I thought was quite interesting because it is a, it is a, is it a, it's a passionate, hot, burning expression of jealousy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Because I've had this experience yesterday, right? We all have experiences where we get jealous, but it's not about getting jealous. It's about harboring jealousy and staying jealous to a point where you're like, Oh, I am burning. I am, oh, my fists are clenched. My jaw is clenched. I cannot stand. You talk through your teeth. I cannot stand that. I can't believe God is blessing that person. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about because we've all been there and done that. And the Lord's like, hey, that should be a red flashing light on your dash. Ding, ding, 
immaturity. Check engine soon. Right? That's jealousy. The other thing is, is uh, fighting. He, he calls it strife, right? But if you look up the word, uh, what it means in the Greek is an affection for fighting. It's what the Bible calls a contentious spirit. This is somebody that's always ready to argue about anything they didn't come up with on their own. Like, they just love fighting. It's just weird. I don't get people like that. That sounds exhausting. How do you do it? I can't figure it out. But there are people who are literally like, I'm going to challenge everything. Well, because I'm an eight on the Enneagram, obviously. But Paul's like, no, it's because you're immature. (laughs) You're addicted to strife. And that is immaturity. It is a contentious spirit. It's not a personality trait. That got deep, didn't it? <laughs> so let me give you a follow-up to that. I write to you, beloved, be meek and holy-mannered. Be meek and holy-mannered. You don't have to fight with everybody. You don't need to fight with everybody. You don't need to argue with everybody. You don't need to respond to everything you disagree with on Facebook. You don't like what somebody does, you don't have to record a vlog about it. <laughs> Thank you. Right? You don't have to do that. Like, that's not important. And in, in the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Let's not be known for what we're against. Let's be known for what we're for. Jesus said himself, he's like, listen, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're preaching in Jesus' name, leave them alone. Sure, it might look a little bit different than you. It may, you might not even like what they're saying, but you know what? If they're saying me, trust that I can handle my own reputation. I don't need you to handle it for me. Let it go. Be meek, bless, love, forgive, and be mild-mannered. I'm not looking for contention. I'm looking for contentment, and I have it in Jesus. That's it. Be meek and be mild-mannered. Point three. If you want to be a leader, you want to be nothing. Remember, I said, look, I I said this was a letter to the charismatic church. Now, I grew up in a holiness Pentecostal church. I grew up charismatic. I grew up going to all the revivals. I went to all the conferences. I used to drive overnight to go to conferences. I mean, I'm still obsessed with conferences. I love preaching at conferences. It's super fun. I really love it. It's awesome. There's a lot of great things about it. But one of the things about the charismatic movement is that we have far too often used the stage and a microphone as the ultimate symbol of empowerment. And so we've literally pushed this into the pews in such a way that people who are charismatic and spirit-filled, they feel is if no one's paying attention to them, they're not successful. So it's like, well, I better become a preacher because that's what success looks like. No, look, success does not look like preaching. Success does not look like the stage. Success does not look like a microphone. Success does not look like leading conferences. Success does not look like a record deal. Here's what success looks like. Obedience. That's all that success is, church. It's simply 
Obedience. Are you saying yes to God or are you ignoring what God's asked you to do so that you can do what you want to do and ask Him to bless it? That is success. Simple obedience. For far too long, we've looked at the microphone as being the ultimate expression of success. And it doesn't matter. Paul states very clearly who human leaders actually are in verse 5 through 7. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are simply servants. Everybody say servants. Servants through whom you believe. That's all they are. They're just servants as the Lord has assigned to them. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. You're nothing. You're just a servant. Isn't that humbling for us who want to be leaders? It's like, and I'm not trying to like, I don't want you to get down on yourself and become a doormat. That's not my goal here. All right. Have confidence in Jesus who has called you. Put no confidence in the flesh Paul says in a different passage, why? Because we are only leaders because God has called us to serve in the role of a leader in this season. And it's just a season. It's not going to be forever. There's going to come a day. Somebody else is going to have to take over the role of being the primary teaching leader in this church, and it ain't going to be me. Don't worry. I plan on staying until I'm 85, but like I just, maybe 65. I don't know. I'm going to die with my boots on. From here. I'm going to have an Arnold Palmer. I'm going to go out like that. I love preaching, but I can't get too obsessed with my assignment in this season. I must stay obsessed with the person who put the grace on me to do the thing that I am doing right now. Why? Because he is the reason why we are here. That's it. That's it. That is all it is. What then is a leader? A servant. What then is a leader? It's not anything. It is nothing. A leader only leads because God has assigned them to lead. That is the only reason and the only reason someone should endeavor to become a preaching elder in a local church. It's because God has assigned them to be. It's not because they have good oratory skill sets. Because talent is not transformational. It is stylish and it is appealing and it might grow a crowd, but it won't grow a church. We've got to have something else. We've got to have something more. We've got to have substance. We've got to have spirit. We've got to have the person. We've got to have the right foundation, which is Jesus. It's God who grows people. And Paul explains that leaders are nothing more than servants. And he says, hey, you're nothing, but he doesn't say you'll do nothing. Because I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the job description of a servant, but it includes work. <laughs> So if you're signing up thinking, well, I'm going to get a bunch of Insta followers and, you know, people are going to treat me nice and refer to me as Pastor So-and-so, like, I just want you to know, like, that is such, that's not even 1% of the job. Like, if you're signing up to be encouraged, run the opposite direction. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be a pastor. Listen, if I can talk you out of being a pastor, you're not called to be a pastor. If the people who slide into your DMs to cuss you out and pray that you die and your kids die, listen, I'll get those DMs. If they can run you off of your post as a pastor, you're not called to be a pastor. I used to, I used to respond because, you know, I was, there was that second thing, you know, that affection for quarreling. 
I said, oh, okay, well, I got a scripture for them. I did. And now you know what I do? Bless them, Lord. Bless them in the name of Jesus. Bless them with wisdom, Lord. Bless them with love. Bless them with kindness. Bless them with grace, Lord. Bless them, Lord. They probably don't know what they're doing. And then, you know, there's something else I do. I understand that my critics are never 100% wrong. There's probably something in there that I need to hear. Something in there that I need to take to prayer. Something in there that I need to put before the Father and say, Lord, if this is in me, search me. Search me. I'm going to be a pure vessel. I'm going to be a holy temple. That's what you've called us to be, right? So he says, hey, if you plant or you water, you're all one. And you're going to receive your wages according to your labor. Everybody say work. Work. Now, I know it's a common thing amongst the charismatic church uh, to ignore the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Because we show up in new churches as God's man of power for the hour. And because we've done something in a previous church a long time ago, we feel like that that qualifies us to get the pulpit next Sunday. And, like, I get that. Like, that's just something that we do in the charismatic church. I don't know why. It's kind of weird. Like, I'm just, just being honest with you guys. But I'll tell you something James Gall told me once. Authority moves at the speed of trust. If you want more authority in the church, you've got to have more trust. You know how you get more wages? You do more work. That's it. If you're like, man, hey, I want to be, be a leader here. Okay, sow some seed. Well, how do I do that? Go change diapers in the kids' ministry. How about that? That's sowing a lot of seed. Go park cars. Be on the welcome team. Help Jeff make the coffee. Start somewhere. I heard an amen from Jeff somewhere. Jeff was like, amen. That's right. Preach it, pastor. Do something. If you want to lead worship, go to the prayer room. If you can't go to the prayer room, watch online. If you want to be a part, like serve anywhere you can. Go lead worship for the kids. Just do anything. It's hard to whine when you're praising. But you know what I've noticed as a dad of three, what infants love to do? Whine. Not good enough, not fast enough, not the best. Could be better. Look, listen, I want you to be, I want you to have an enjoyable experience while you're here, but our primary objective is not to entertain you. The work we're doing here, church, is spiritual work, which is to connect you to a person who is a spirit. John 4 and 24, his name is Jesus, and he is the one that has the power to transform you, which is why we're building upon him as the foundation of this house and nothing more. It's not my talent. It's not my gift. It's not your communication ability. It's not MP's ability to lead worship or Nicole's ability to sing or my wife's ability to pastor. Like, there's none of those things really matter. Paul says very clearly, that is all nothing. Your wisdom is foolishness. It's folly to God. There is none of that that makes any difference. That does not build a great church. You can have great, you can have great meetings, but it doesn't mean you're a great church. Okay, I got to close. I'm on my soapbox here. It's the second service. Sometimes, you know, I just go too long. But listen, if you want to be a leader, here's what leaders do. Number one is they build people. And number two is they work with God to build His church. Listen, if you want to be a leader... You want to be a lover of people. Because God's never going to allow you to lead where you're not willing to apply love. It's so interesting to me that people will want influence with others that they don't even love. 
Oh, so you want God to give you favor with people you hate? Got it. Oh, you want God to give you influence in the culture you demonize? Check. Okay. Number four. If you're bragging about how you're the biggest and the best in the church, you're deceived. (laughs) Oh, hold on. I didn't give you the follow-up to the last point. It's quickly this. I write to you, beloved. Discern what God has given you grace to do in church right now and work hard at it. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, point four. If you're bragging about how you're the biggest and the best in the church, you're deceived. You deceive. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. That means if you think you're a veteran, become a rookie. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. If you think that you're mature in advance and you're well beyond everybody else, become childlike. Yeah. Because that's who the kingdom breaks out for. Jesus himself said it. If you want to be lifted up, you've got to go down. If you want to be wise, you've got to become a fool. If you want to be great, you've got to be willing to serve. This is the way that it works. And if we're thinking to ourselves, like, man, I am going to present myself as the biggest and the best leader in this house. I know what's going on. I'm the most prayerful. I'm always the most anointed person in every room. Paul simply says, you're deceived. Check your self-awareness. We actually talked about this on staff retreat. It's something called illusory superiority. It's actually a common thing. It's studied quite a bit in social science. In the field of social psychology, illusory superiority is a condition of cognitive bias wherein a person overestimates their own qualities and abilities in relation to the same qualities and abilities of other people. Church, it's about being humble. Right? I don't think God has any problem with you having great confidence, but I do think he has a problem with you having a great ego. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're dynamic. You're big in the spirit. You are anointed. You are prophetic. I'm not browbeating you. There's not a problem in you having a lot of confidence in you, but there is a problem in you having no confidence in others. 21 through 23, for all things are yours. All things are yours. They belong to you by the Spirit through the person of Christ Jesus. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. Everything that you need is already found in the person that you have and his name is Jesus. That's it. So stay hungry. Everybody say stay hungry. Be meek. Everybody say be meek. Do what you have grace to do. Look at your neighbor. Say, he's talking about you. Talking about you. Do what you have grace to do. Listen, you're not accountable to God for the grace that is resting upon the person next to you. God's not judging you on the basis of somebody else's gift. What's the grace that's been put on your life? Do no less. You might do more, but do no less. Like genuinely, church, what if everything that God never asked you to carry, you dropped today and left it in the seat? And you just walked out, just lifted, rejuvenated. Man, I got the grace of God on my life. He's asked me to do this thing. I'm doing that thing. I'm actually faithful. We need to be reminded of that every now and then. Listen, you're not called to be successful, only faithful. Success is simply obedience. That's it. 
And the last point is this. Stay humble. Everybody say, stay humble. Kendrick said, sit down. But I'm going to ask you to stand up because we're going to pray and finish in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would do the work in us that your word has taught us about today. We, we don't have this all figured out. Who are we kidding? It's great that we come here and we do our best, but at the same time, God, we rely on you to help us. Lord, everything that was of you, may it take root and bear 100-fold fruit. Everything that was not, let it fall to the wayside and die because we don't want to carry it. This message was not hard for the sake of you know, punishing anybody, Lord, but it is <clears throat> oftentimes the hard words that put us in a position to seek you. So, Lord, we just ask that you would stir up hunger in us, that you would stir up meekness and kindness and humility in us. We ask that you would stir up in us everything that you put in and remove everything that you didn't. God, we ask for an increase of freedom today, and we ask for an increase of you. You are the foundation, and we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Can we just bless the Lord with a big hand clap of praise as we're closing? Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.